Hello, and welcome to Spark My Muse. I am your host, Lisa Colon-Delay, and you are listening to Soul School, Lesson 228, Befriending Ourselves. Today I'm featuring April Fiat's book, The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls. This is a long overdue episode, really. I got a chance to read April's book and endorse it, so I had an advanced copy. I really enjoyed this book, and I think there is plenty in it to edify and encourage all of you. I'm going to be reading from a section from Chapter 8 called Harmony of Friendship, page 140, in the section heading called Befriending Ourselves. This pairs nicely with the most recent book cohort on the Wildland Within conversation. You can watch the video replay if you'd like. I'll be sure to leave a video link in the show notes at sparkmymuse.com for this episode, SSL228. We got a chance to talk about a habit that a lot of us can tend to have, which is this sort of internal notion where we think, well, I'm pretty hard on myself, but I'm very kind to others, or I treat other people better than I treat myself. I want to keep myself in line. I want to be disciplined. I want to hold myself to a higher standard. And this kind of habitual behavior winds up being a kind of self-cruelty. And what I have been way too late to realize is that there is no way to love others more than you love yourself. There is no way to be compassionate, to be gracious to other people when you have no reference for that. And that reference comes from giving that to yourself first. And not in any kind of ego-stroking way, not in any kind of bragging way, but just in a tenderness, in a kindness, in a cruelty-free way of being with yourself. It is when I finally understood that I was a person that I could love. I became a person who could love others much better than I was. One of the watershed moments for me was when I heard my son, who is now an adult but was a teenager at the time, and he has some intellectual disabilities. He has autism, and he in many ways is high-functioning, but some things are still very troubling and confusing to him. And I remember hearing him berate himself out loud and say something along the lines of, Oh, that's so stupid of me. I'm so stupid. I can't believe it. Why do I do that? I'm just dumb. And that hurt me to hear that. That hurt me to hear him rip himself apart, tear himself down, and be really ugly and mean to himself. And I thought to myself, he is hurting somebody I love. And I said to him, please, please don't be mean to someone I love. And I realized I often do the very same thing to myself in my self-talk, my mental monologue. But I think many of us do have an inner monologue and we play what sometimes is called colloquially tapes over and over in our head that might be self-condemning or harsh and cruel and unkind. And as we change those tapes or that monologue and self-talk to be at least neutral or non-judging and just say, it's okay, it's okay, I made a mistake there, let's try that again, or okay, we're going to do that better next time just to be neutral and kind and tender, we begin to, more rapidly than we realize, be much kinder and more gracious to other people as we give ourselves the permission to be fallible and make mistakes and have screw-ups. 
This might seem really hard to believe if you've been a perfectionist or hard on yourself your whole life. And I was punished a great deal as a child. I was yelled at a lot. There was a lot of verbal punishment and there was a lot of physical punishment. And I pulled all that inward into a self-hatred. And I figured if I was really hard on myself, maybe I wouldn't screw up so much and maybe I wouldn't get punished so much. And that just stayed with me as this continual way to self-regulate my behavior and be a good girl. And it took so many years to stop this harsh treatment of myself because it was habituated. It was probably in my late 30s where some of those tapes and constant bad treatment of myself quieted down in my mind to just be less demanding and less overwhelming. And it's really only now, many years later after that, that I can actually say good things and appreciative things and neutral things and encouraging things in my inner monologue. And what it has allowed me to do is to see people with the same kind of generosity as I'm seeing myself. And not to say that I'm, I'm not self-congratulatory. Um, I don't think better of myself than I am. I think I think more honestly of myself, the good and the bad, not just all the bad, and certainly not all just the good. What I appreciated so much about this piece of April's work on page 140 is how she details some of this in this section called Befriending Ourselves. And I want to read it to you, and I encourage you to get her book, The Sacred Pulse. It's by Broadleaf Books, the same publisher that published my book, The Wild Land Within. There's some wonderful books that come from Broadleaf, and if you look at their website, you'll see a whole collection of amazing books. Lots of good authors coming out with wonderful books on very important topics. And April has covered many important topics about spiritual practices and the rhythm of life that can bring refreshment to us and rejuvenation to us. She says here, years ago, I sat in a chair in my counselor's office and told her about a situation I was struggling with to make sense of. She sat and listened quietly. Occasionally, she asked a question for clarification or to help me think more deeply about what I was processing. She wasn't the type to give advice, so in the rare moments when she shared an insight, I listened. She said, April, I want you to think about this situation again, only this time it didn't happen to you, it happened to a friend. What advice would you give your friend? I was confused by what she was asking, so she got more direct. You are quick to show love and grace to everyone. It's time you show love and grace to yourself. Befriending ourselves is the first opportunity we have to be a good friend. This is not easy, especially when we are gripped by loneliness. But without befriending ourselves, it will be difficult for us to receive love and friendship from anyone else. Vivek Murthy writes, The fog of loneliness also blurs our internal mirrors. It obscures our inner strengths, as well as the value that we have to offer, the meaning of our own lives, and the sources of joy and wonder that would normally make us feel connected to the universe around us. This blindness can allow us to drift off course, forgetting what we love about our lives and neglecting to accept and befriend ourselves with the compassion and understanding we deserve. As we grow and change, 
we discover who we are. That process can be delightful as we find gifts and talents that surprise even ourselves. Other times, it is a painful journey as we let others down and as we disappoint ourselves. We discover our flaws right along with our strengths. We face the temptation to compartmentalize our rough spots and imperfections so that others will see only our strengths. The cruel whispers of shame aim to convince us that we would not be loved if others saw all of who we are, and so we hide away the undesirable parts of ourselves. Yet those struggles, those parts of ourselves we conceal, are also who we are. When we respond to parts of ourselves with shame, we begin to believe, whether we are aware of it or not, that we are shameful people. We internalize the story that we are not worthy of love. We no longer listen to the voice of God singing over us that we are good, and not only good, but very good. In hiding the parts of ourselves that make us feel ashamed, we become estranged from ourselves. Befriending ourselves means uncovering the hidden places and being honest about what we find there. Honesty does not mean viewing these parts of ourselves through the eyes of our worst critic, but instead looks like seeing these things for what they really are, parts of our story. These discoveries might be painful at first, but uncovering what we've kept hidden is the first step in reconciling with ourselves. After taking stock of what we've compartmentalized or hidden, befriending ourselves looks like offering ourselves grace and compassion. Self-compassion looks at our flaws and our brokenness through the eyes of a caring friend. Self-compassion is not about denying the wrong we've done, and it does not mean that any hurts we've caused will magically disappear, but it will enable us to recover our whole selves as one unified whole, as who we are. Chuck DeGroat writes, The elusive wholeness we long for comes as we extend grace and love and compassion to every stranger within us. Indeed, we will find things about ourselves that we had kept so hidden that they were unknown even to ourselves. And when we find those things, self-compassion urges us to receive them with grace and love and kindness rather than shame and judgment. DeGroat continues, quote, It's true that our wholeness is cultivated in quiet and mindful times, but it is also cultivated in the frantic and frazzling moments, racing to pick up the kids from school on time, cleaning up the dog's mess, waiting out a flight delay. Wholeness is experienced as we attend to ourselves with care in every circumstance, unquote. We do not have to wait to show ourselves kindness until we've cleaned up our act it's in the messy stuff of life that we need our own compassion the most. Finding friendship with ourselves is like learning the melody of a beautiful song. We rehearse it, listen to it, and sing it again and again until the melody becomes so familiar that we can sing it in our sleep. The more we seek out friendship with ourselves, the more we grow to love our own song. Soren Kierkegaard once said that the lowest despair of all is when we wish to be another than ourselves. 
We instinctively cover over or hide our imperfections to protect ourselves from getting hurt. But in hiding ourselves, we also keep ourselves from giving and receiving love. Friendship with ourselves unearths what we keep hidden, brings it into the light, and declares we are lovable anyway, as whole people. Not just the images and selfies we share with the rest of the world. Befriending ourselves gives us the courage to sing the song that's ours. Until we learn the melody, we will not be ready to embrace the joy of harmony with others. Such great insights from April. This sentence, it's in the messy stuff of life that we need our compassion the most, that really sticks with me. When things are going pretty well, it's easy to think good things about ourselves. When things get messy and we start screwing things up and we start being disappointing to ourselves, it's hard to have that same self-compassion and see ourselves with kindness. But what a lot of people don't realize, especially in the in Christian context where this gets hammered in about being a terrible person and a worm and not good before God, that God can only love us because of what Jesus has done. Instead, we should be thinking, God loves us so much and we are very good because of God. And we are flawed. And that's what humanity is. And so we can have that compassion without beating ourselves up. Life has enough coming our way that will knock us down. We can't be the kind of people who also knock ourselves down. And by not knocking ourselves down, we will not be in a habit of doing it, and so we won't do it to others. We can only give people the love and grace that we have been giving ourselves. And that's why I think people are so mean out there. They're so cruel. They're so sexist and racist. They actually don't believe too many good things about themselves. Otherwise, there would be this deeper well to draw from, to offer this resource to others who are thirsty. I think too many times we go around carrying these bottles of water around, hoping to hand them out to people who are thirsty because we only have this shallow well to draw from and we don't even have enough for ourselves. What we need to do is dig down into that well so that it comes springing forth with water that we ourselves can drink and then offer out of that overflow to other people. These are invaluable insights April has in her book, The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls. There's a lot of other things in there too that talk about silence and celebration, many other things. Go check it out. I also invite you to go to sparkmymuse.com and check out the links for my Substack. That's where I am blogging now. That's where you'll find articles and more. And in June, I will be, as I am a contributor for three-fifths Voice of Clarity magazine that is online, I will be sure to send out links for that on Twitter when that is posted. Please share this episode with others, and thank you for supporting my work. God bless you.